0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now I'm going to go ahead and get us into the message tonight, and I would like for you to Open your books to our Bibles rather to uh, Acts chapter sixteen, and our text verse is from matthew sixteen eighteen but I'd like you to find uh, Acts chapter sixteen and hold on to that for just a few minutes and we continue our study in church history tonight with the reminder that matthew sixteen eighteen tells us of christ 's promise that the gates of hell would never prevail against the church. And so that means that the church would never... That One of the things that it means is that the church would never be able to lose the core doctrines of the faith, that there always will be a true church that teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that the church is never going to experience perilous times, uh, both in in, uh, physical persecution and with attacks on doctrine. And in the past 2,000 years, the church has seen much of both of those. Uh, today, we don't face very much persecution. But in America, at this time, we are constantly fighting against the, those who, would, who want to water down the gospel or to get rid of the gospel altogether. Now, in our study of history, we're, we're past the time of worse persecution, And we're into the time of modern Baptist history, and our study takes us just past the time when there was an amendment to the Constitution that was passed to guarantee us religious freedom. And so thankfully, we don't have to deal with uh, persecution any longer, even though there are Baptists in other parts of the world that still do have to deal with this. But our concern in America right now is uh, the attacks against the doctrines of the faith. And unfortunately, many times we can be our own worst enemy because Baptist people have begun to stray away from the truths that were taught in the old confessions of faith. In fact, there are many Baptists that have never even seen or read the old historic Baptist confessions of faith. Now I'd like for you to look at this one verse in Acts that describes a very important truth about conversion. And yet this principle of the Scripture is is one that is perverted in many Baptist churches in particular and also evangelical churches in general. And here in this chapter of, of Acts 16, Luke records the adventures of Paul and Silas in the Greek city of Philippi. And that's where they were beaten and thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. That's where they met the Philippian jailer. And in this chapter is where we find that that famous question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And oddly enough, or curiously enough I might say, that is the only place in the Bible where that question is asked in such a straightforward manner. And the answer that Paul and Silas gave to that question was also very direct, and it was very simple, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, last month in the Fundamentals class, we broke down that name of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we talked about it in all of its parts. So just in passing, I want to say that that title, Lord, is one of the confusions of modern evangelicalism. The modern gospel presentation says that you must put the Lord on the throne of your heart and that there are some people who have received Christ as Savior, but they are yet to put Christ on the throne. Well, that's not just a poor presentation, but that is entirely wrong. Christ is the Lord of salvation. He's never any place else but on the throne of a Christian's heart. And you don't put him there. He is, he is there because of our salvation. And no one is ever going to be saved without recognizing that he is there and fully surrendering to him as Lord. But for the sake of of promoting and maintaining a false doctrine of carnal Christianity, the theology of salvation is changed to separate the lordship of Christ from the salvation of Christ. And those are two things that can't be separated. Nowhere in all of the scriptures do you find that those two things are separated. And if it's not proved in any other place, it is proved by this title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's just in passing... So, here we have the story of the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. That's the most well-known part of this chapter. But when it comes to the actual theology of salvation, and why is it that people believe the gospel, we have one of the most important statements that's made in all of Scripture on the subject in verse number 14. In Acts 16:14, it says, "...and a certain woman named Lydia..." A cellar of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And that phrase, whose heart the Lord opened, is critical to our understanding of salvation. It's critical to our understanding of how things have gone so terribly wrong in evangelicalism, and in Baptist churches. When, where, and why did things go wrong on the theology of salvation when Baptists of the past had made such very clear statements about the sovereignty of God? When did things go wrong? Well, it went wrong in the period of revivalism. Now, that's number eight on your listening sheet. Uh, revivalism is a movement of the. It came about during the 19th century. We talked extensively about that last week. Uh, it started at the first quarter of the 19th century and continued to the near the end of the century. And this movement of revivalism had effects that are seen today, and is still responsible for the change in soteriology from being God-centered to man-centered. I mean, many, many churches today are still experiencing the effects of this revivalism that was over a hundred years ago. And so if you want to know how it is that the modern church has slid into the pragmatism of the church growth movement and then finally into the self-help system of Joel Osteen, then you can thank revivalism. And you might not be able to recognize that at first, but the very first step on the slippery slope that ends in a self-help gospel... That first step was taken 150 years ago. And that's when there was a shift of theology, of the theology of regeneration. Now, I want to begin a study of that tonight. Last week, we talked about who it was that birthed revivalism, and that was Charles Finney. On your lesson sheet, it's Charles Finney, and we called him the torch of revivalism. And we talked about his view of salvation and we learned that Finney was basically a heretic. He wasn't a Baptist, he, uh, but unfortunately many of the fundamental Baptists look to him today as a hero and they say that he was a spirit-filled soul winner. And that is a direct quote that I, that I read to you for, uh, last week from the, from the Sword of the Lord website. And this is the claim, and yet the sermons that he preached and the books that he wrote and the, and the legacy that he left tells a very much different story. Because here is a man who did not believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. He did not believe in the imputation of Christ's righteousness for the justification of sinners. He did not believe that the human heart is totally depraved, and nor did he believe in the doctrine of original sin. And he did not believe that it's God who has to change a sinner's heart, but rather that a sinner has to change his own heart in order to believe. In other words, he did not believe Acts 16:14. And yet this man, who is not a Baptist, has had more influence on the theology of salvation among Baptists than any person in the last 150 years. And what he does is he influences the methodology of soul winning, he and others like him influenced the style of preaching. He influences the understanding of this great doctrine of regeneration. And this man commands the respect of Baptists, even though he was, in a, no uncertain terms, a, a Pelagian heretic. He lied in his or, ordination to the gospel ministry, but nevertheless, he's called a spirit-filled soul winner. Now, you may think that I'm being too unkind to him or too harsh, But I can tell you what the Apostle Paul said about the very things that Charles Finney taught. Paul said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." As we said before so say I now again if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that we have that then ye have received let him be accursed and so what Paul did was to fight against any theology that said that a man must change his own heart but he preached that people are sinners and that they are incapable of doing what only Christ can do through the work of the holy spirit in regeneration Now, as the subtitle of this point, I've called him the torch of revivalism. And I said last week that I wasn't speaking of his burning zeal for Christ, but rather I'm talking about another type of burning, and that was the influence that this man had over a whole region of this country. Now, in the First Great Awakening, the preaching of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield had a huge impact on the northeastern United States, and and their preaching fueled a revival that just caused an explosion of growth in Baptist churches. And Whitfield's influence was greater even than that of Jonathan Edwards because Whitfield also preached in the southern colonies of the United States. And, and what he did was to leave behind converts that were the ones that braved the hardships of frontier life in America. And there are many Baptist churches that arose in the south because of the preaching of George Whitefield in the First Great Awakening, and these people pushed over the Appalachian Mountains into Kentucky and Ohio and beyond. And sometimes there were whole communities that picked up and moved And we talked a little bit about that with the traveling church a couple of weeks ago. And that's where a group of 600 people that were led by Baptist ministers settled in Kentucky. And those Baptist preachers preached the very same doctrines that we preach today in Berean Baptist Church. But what about this legacy of Finney? Well, he came after Edwards and Whitfield, And he preached in the same area that they did where the First Great Awakening got its start. And the northeastern part of the United States is where Finney had most of his converts, and that's where revivalism was born. Well, was Finney actually a spirit-filled soul winner? Well, that's the claim. The claim is that there were 500,000 people who made professions of faith, became converts of Christ because of the preaching of Charles Finney. Now, let me add then to your outline tonight uh, this, this uh, point And that is the burned-over district. That's B on your listening sheet, the burned-over district. There's a young man and his wife that has visited our church several times over the past few years. They live in Rochester, New York, and they have family in this area. And whenever they're here visiting, they come to church. And a few years ago, on their first visit, this young man heard me preach, and I don't remember what the subject of the sermon was, but he recognized in the references that I made that I believed in the doctrines of grace. And uh, let me say that there's a style of preaching to that with terms that are recognized by those who study these things. And after that service, we were standing at the front door, and he introduced himself to me, and he said, Hi, I'm Joe Spaddle and I'm from the burned-over district. And he knew that I knew exactly what he meant, that he was from the area where Charles Finney had done his greatest damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, the area that he's from, the western New York, is practically a wasteland of gospel preaching because of Charles Finney. Now, that's where the massive numbers of his converts were made. But his converts were actually casualties of a false evangelism and a false soul winning and false conversion. And these were people that were converted under this teaching that men have to change their own hearts. And so these are people that walked aisles under the mistaken notion that regeneration is not a monergistic act of the Holy Spirit, but rather that regeneration is... Part man, part God, and God and man are equal partners in the salvation of souls. Now, when sinners try to change their own hearts, they are reformed and not regenerated. And reformation does not last. Because a person who's only been reformed does not have the ability to live unto God unless there has been a radical transformation that's taken part in his heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. And these multi-thousands of people who made their professions of faith didn't have that because they hadn't been taught that. And the result of that was there were thousands of those people that fell away from their conversions. They were told that their hearts would be changed, but there was no lasting change. And so what happened was they went back to living the way that they were before. And they became very disillusioned with a gospel like that and with preachers like that. And so it turned out that they wouldn't listen again. They'd been bamboozled by a preacher who told them these lies, and the effect of that has been long-lasting. And so the northeastern part of the United States is very hard to reach with the gospel. There are very few Bible-believing churches there. The very place that had an explosion of Christianity in the first great awakening has now been burned over because of the preaching of Finney. And the children who were born to that generation grew up exactly like their parents. They rejected churches and they never were taught anything about the Lord. And so they're known as the burned over district. And there are people that are just like Joe Spaddle that have to fight that cheap gospel that was preached when they try to get people to come to faith in Christ. And I don't know if Joe is listening to this, but he knew that I would know what he was talking about, because what I'm telling you now is no secret. That is the legacy of Charles Finney. In fact, Finney himself was struck with the mass defections of his converts, and he admitted before he died that there were very, very few of them that actually knew the Lord. Now, some of you may have heard of Tim Challies. He writes a a great blog if you ever get a chance to read it, a very informative one. And time to time, some time to time, you may see an article of his in Table Talk. But he wrote about Finney, and this was his comment. He said, "'Finney's legacy in church history is largely one of failure, "'of creating masses of people who believed they were Christians, "'but most of whom showed no evidence.'" They were assured by their decision, which they could always regard as a milestone in their lives. But while they had raised their hand, they had never turned to Christ. Why had they not done this? Because the Spirit had not done any work in them, and they were unregenerate. They had attempted to make themselves believers, a task which can only be done by God. The same prevails today. Now that's where we're headed in this study. What went wrong? Acts 16, 14 went wrong. Because instead of the Lord opening hearts, it became the job of the evangelist to open hearts. And it became the job of the pastor to open hearts. Salvation has always been of the Lord. And when that changed, that's when Baptist theology changed. And so instead of Holy Spirit regeneration... Regeneration is by the decision of the believer. God's sovereignty goes out, and it's replaced by tactics of manipulation. You see, if regeneration is your decision and not God's, then what I have to do as a preacher is I have to throw everything, including the kitchen sink at you, to get you to make a decision for Christ, to convince you that you're going in the wrong direction, that you should decide for Christ instead of against him. Now, you might be wondering, why is it necessary for us to go through all of this information about Finney? Well, we needed to do this so that you could understand who it is that authored this change in regeneration. I mean, Baptists today don't make the same errors as Finney did on denying original sin. Baptists do not make errors about justification by faith alone. And Baptists are not making errors about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. We know better than that. We understand those doctrines. We're not making those kind of mistakes that Finney made. But curiously, there is this twisted adoption of Finney's ideas about regeneration. And that misunderstanding affects methodology. Now here is the truth, that these tactics are not historical. They were never used before Finney. They're not biblical. And the history of that's undisputed. The change from the historical position and the biblical position is the modern position that is now the norm. And so here it is. This is the theology of regeneration today, and that is letter C, decisional regeneration. This is what's being taught in most churches today, decisional regeneration. And that is against the Bible's teaching of monergistic regeneration that we find in Acts 16:14. Now, before we can talk about the change, everyone has to clearly understand what regeneration is. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, this is the classic text, and it's the discussion that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And John chapter 3, and uh, and just hold on to this passage, because we're going to be in and out of it a little bit as we go through. But John chapter 3 and verse number 3 Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when you see that term born again, and this is where we find it in the scriptures, born again, that is the same thing as regeneration. Now, in looking for an Easy definition of regeneration. I came across this one, which I thought was a pretty good simplified form. That regeneration is the spiritual change wrought in the heart of man by the Holy Spirit in which his inherently sinful nature is changed so that he can respond to God in faith and live according to his will. It is an inner recreating of the fallen human nature by gracious, sovereign action of the Holy Spirit. It originates not with man, but with God. It extends to the whole nature of man, altering his governing disposition, illuminating his mind, freeing his will, and renewing his nature. Now, I know all of that's a whole lot more than a mouthful, but the gist of that statement is this, that regeneration is the Holy Spirit's act in which he gives a person a new nature that frees his will so that now he has a disposition towards God. And it's out of this new disposition that's given by the Holy Spirit that he's able to express repentance and faith. Now, you can see by that definition that that's in conflict with what what most Baptists teach because they believe that the will of man is already free, that man is able to dispose himself to God, and that's exactly what Finney taught. Now, lest you think that what I'm telling you is inconsistent with our historic confessions, let me read to you what our own confession of faith says, the New Hampshire Confession of 1833. And it's an interesting thing here that there are very many of the fundamental Baptist churches that also use the New Hampshire Confession. I mean, this is their confession of faith also, and yet they don't understand that it conflicts with their own view of regeneration. Now, this is what Article 7 of the Confession states. Article 7 of Grace and Regeneration. We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be regenerated or born again, that regeneration consists in giving a holy disposition to the mind, that it is effected in a manner above our comprehension by the power of the Holy Spirit in connection with divine truth, so as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel. And that its proper evidence appears in the holy fruits of repentance and faith and newness of life. Now, in that statement, you can see very clearly that regeneration is the Holy Spirit changing the disposition of the mind. And that change is not a cooperative change, but it's a change that takes place above our comprehension so that the Holy Spirit secures our voluntary obedience to the gospel. So if you want to know the part about whether, well, do you make a decision? Absolutely, yes. You make a decision when the Holy Spirit secures your voluntary obedience. And so the securing of that voluntary obedience is just another way of saying that God's grace is effectual. Or if you know the lingo, that would be the same as saying... This is the doctrine of irresistible grace, that God's grace is always effectual when it comes to the salvation of sinners. Now, the article also states that repentance and faith are the fruits of regeneration, not the cause of it. And that part is reversed by most Baptists, and that affects their practices. Now, they place repentance and faith before regeneration, And make it the cause which moves us from monergism into synergism. Now, that's what our confession says. But our confession is not the Bible. It's based on the Bible. But now we need to know, is the confession biblical? Is that what the Bible actually says about regeneration? So what we're going to do now is we're going to break down that statement and see, does the Bible actually say this? Well, the first part of it, the first statement is that in order to be saved, a sinner must be regenerated. Well, let's go back to John chapter 3. Again, this is the classic text, uh, although by no means the only one. John 3, verse number 3 again. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we agree with Jesus on that. To see the kingdom of God, that is to be saved, and actually seeing the kingdom of God is the ability to have faith. In order to have the ability to have faith, you must be born again. That is, regenerated. Now you look down at verses 6 and 7, and we, we can see who does the work in regeneration. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So there we see that we are born of the Spirit. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit that does this. The Holy Spirit is the one who affects all of this. Now hold on to John 3 for just a moment, and let's turn to Romans chapter 8. And we need to ask the question, Is there anything that a person can do without the Spirit of God? Is it possible... For a person to turn to Christ without a first working of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what Charles Finney said. Is it possible for us to turn to Christ? Well, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 6, we'll start there. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, that means hostility. The carnal mind is hostility against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There we have impossibility, the language of impossibility. Those in the flesh cannot please God. And so we see that the first phrase of the confession is true. We have to be born of the Spirit. And we are unable to turn to God without the Holy Spirit first working in our heart. And so the Bible is true and not finny. Now the second phrase is regeneration consists in giving a holy disposition to the mind. Now that means before the Holy Spirit begins to work that the mind is unholy. Now do you agree with that? That when you're lost your mind is unholy? That your mind is depraved and it's your mind that has to be changed? Are we in agreement with that? I hope so. Well, let me take you to the Old Testament. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. Now, what the Bible is talking about there is that a stony heart is the same as the will of the mind that has been disposed against God. And what God says is that I'm going to remove that stony heart that you have, that mind that is affected against me, and I'm going to give you a new heart. And when we are regenerated, the mind becomes different. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it tells us there that we are new creation in Christ. And according to the Scriptures, God is the one who does this. Well, the third phrase is where we really begin to run into deep trouble if we hold Finney's opinion and the opinion of most Baptists today. And that is this statement. It is effected in a manner above our comprehension by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let me explain the word effected. That means settled, securely, and unconditionally. And that is also a statement of effectual grace. Now we notice in this this statement that it says this happens above our comprehension. And that means that the Holy Spirit has already begun his work before you even know it. That this happens before you even start thinking about it, which obviously tells you that faith is not the cause of it. That repentance cannot be the cause of it. The Holy Spirit is already working in the mind in conjunction with the truth before any of those ever happen. Well, is that biblical? Is that a biblical statement? And that's very important to us because this centered statement is actually the hinge pin pin of divine truth. Our argument rises and falls right here. So we have to go back to John chapter 3 again. And now we look at verse number 8. And Jesus said there, "...the wind bloweth where it listeth." That means where it wills. "...the wind blows where it wills, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit." How could Jesus have been clearer than that? The wind blows where it wants. You can't tell from where it comes or where it goes. And he compares the wind to the Spirit. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So the Spirit goes where he wills, not where you will. He comes and he goes as he pleases. Now Jesus said, it's like the wind. And the word wind there is pneuma, which is the same word that's translated as spirit in the last part of the verse. They're the same and they operate the same. That this is not by the will of man. Now I'm going to get to this next time, but but uh, there, this is the reason why we don't actually have a need to manipulate people to come down the aisles. We don't have to manipulate them into believing because it's the Holy Spirit that moves people to belief, and not preachers. So regeneration happens above the area of man's perception. It's above our comprehension. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't understand what Jesus is explaining here. It means that this takes place without us thinking about it, without us knowing about it, without us deciding it. Like the Spirit, the wind moves. And how do you know that the wind is present? Well, nobody can ever see the wind. What you see is the effect of the wind. And the effect of the wind is the rustling of the leaves on the tree. You don't see the wind, but you see the effect of the wind. And the very same thing is true of the Spirit. You see his effect. When the Spirit moves in a person's heart, you see the effect. And the effect is repentance and faith. And that's exactly what the confession means when it calls repentance and faith the fruits of regeneration. Now, I like the way that James put this in James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, He said, Do not err, my beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And that's doubly confirmed in John 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, the confession says that the Spirit secures our voluntary obedience. And it's not until this point that you get in on the action. Now, you weren't there at the beginning The decision to regenerate is God's, not yours. The Spirit moved in your heart, and you didn't prepare your own heart for that, and neither can I prepare your heart for it by giving you an invitation or anything else. I cannot prepare your heart. The Holy Spirit does that. But then after the Holy Spirit moves on your heart, then what happens? Well, that's where you fit in. After regeneration, the Holy Spirit secures your obedience to the gospel. And it's not as if we're talking about a long, long, drawn-out process as, as this takes place. This is an instantaneous thing. As soon as the Spirit does His work, the immediate response of the Spirit's work is repentance and faith. Your disposition towards God is changed by regeneration. So the hostility that you have against God is taken away. And so you're no longer hostile to Him. And what do you do? Because you're not hostile any longer. You come to him voluntarily. You don't come to him kicking and screaming. Did any of you ever have the sense that, that when God drew you to himself, that it was a painful experience? That God just drugged you like wild horses that were dragging you behind a chariot? Did you ever feel like that? Were you holding on to the back of the pew and digging in your fingernails so that when we got finished with you, we had replaced the fabric on the back of the chair? Well, No. Now, this is part of another point, but did you know that the person that the sword of the Lord termed Mr. Soul Winner said this very thing? Jack Hiles taught a tactic of preaching in which he said you must trick people to walk down the aisle before they dig in and refuse to come. Well, I don't see that as a part of what Jesus did with Nicodemus. The reason that you don't kick and scream when you come to Jesus is because the Holy Spirit has already changed your heart. You don't have to be tricked. You're willing to come. And that essentially is what effectual grace is all about. You won't come until your heart is changed. And when your heart is changed, you want to come. That's the voluntary obedience. And I might add this, that the Holy Spirit works in your heart for that very purpose. This is the why. This is why that he takes the gospel and he starts to work with it in you because he intends to save you. He doesn't come for any other purpose. He saves people. He doesn't try to save people. And so we have to ask then, does the Holy Spirit do the first part without accomplishing the second Does he move on you without perception like the wind to leave you in a place where you could make a decision that he knows is going to go against him? Well, if you think that, then you've just missed the whole point. You're born again by the will of God, not by the will of man. So God overcomes the will of man and enables a person to believe. That's when you are regenerated and that's the fruit that shows up. You repent and you trust Christ to save you. Now, folks, that is biblical regeneration. And that's contrary to what you hear in most Baptist churches. But this is the very crux of the matter. If you get regeneration wrong, the thing that leads to repentance and faith, if you get that wrong, then you get the theology of salvation wrong. And you change the theology of salvation. And this is why people deny the doctrines of grace. Because they've still got this thing in their mind that salvation is part them and part God. That's the legacy of Finney. And that legacy has affected generations of people. He burned over a whole area of the United States with that false uh, false view of a generation. And those who take up the very same mantle mantle are, are due to repeat history. And I really think that this is what's led a lot of Baptists to turn to preaching rules and regulations. And the reason that they do it is because if hearts have not been changed, then what you continually have to do is to work on the outward stuff all the time to make people appear to be Christians. Now, I want to tell you something. As a Christian, it's a great thing. It's the best thing. It's the godly thing for you to live like Jesus Christ. You ought to clean up your life. You ought to dress like you ought to uh, like you should dress. You ought to look like a Christian. You ought to smell like a Christian. You ought to go to places that Christian people go and stay away from the places where they don't go. You ought to do all of those things. But if you're trying to clean up the outside to help you on the inside, then you've just missed the whole point of biblical regeneration. This is something that takes place on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you try to clean up the outside without having been regenerated in your heart, then you end up in the middle of Peter's analogy. And do you remember what Peter's analogy is? The sow returns to her wallowing in the mire. And this is exactly what happens to people who haven't been regenerated in the heart. The dog returns to his vomit and the sow to her wallowing in the mire. Well, that begs a question. It begs a question. Are some people saved by tactical preaching? Are some people saved under the preaching of decisional regeneration? And it might surprise you, after all of this, to hear me say this, the obvious answer is yes. There are many people that are saved under decisional regeneration. And it wasn't until later that they realized this. Every one of you that say, or many of you that are saved in here tonight, you were saved under this type of preaching. You were saved under the preaching of decisional regeneration, and you didn't learn until later that it was the Holy Spirit that was doing the operation all of the time. That it wasn't you, that it was the Holy Spirit that led you to Jesus Christ and gave you the ability to trust Christ. Now, here's the thing about this. We praise God that many of the fundamentalists reject part of Finney's teaching. They're right about justification, and we praise God for that. Finney was wrong. But what you don't hear is a lot of preaching about justification, and uh, you don't hear a lot about justification being the imputation of Christ's righteousness. You don't hear that very much. I mean there there are some of you that never knew the the uh, had no idea that the meaning of justification is exactly this that it's a forensic process in which Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and thereby we are declared not guilty Now, usually what you've heard is this definition. It goes this way, and I'll guarantee if I ask you to raise your hand tonight, you're going to tell me that this is what you've heard in preaching. That justification means just as if I never sinned. How many have ever heard that? Justification is just as if I never sinned. That's not wrong. That's right. But that falls way short of hearing it preached like the Bible teaches that Justification is the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the sinner. So we start to dumb down the gospel message. We dumb down the theology of salvation itself. That's why you don't hear it preached very much. Now some of you never knew that the difference between, or never knew that there is a difference between regeneration and justification. I listened to a Baptist preacher not long ago that didn't know the difference between regeneration and reconciliation. Reconciliation. He he used those two terms interchangeably. But they do know this, and we praise God for this. They do know this, that salvation is only by the grace of God. And they know that salvation is not by works. And they're never going to preach that a person is saved by his works. They don't really understand that... What they view, how they view regeneration actually makes faith a work, but nevertheless, they do not believe that faith is a work. They're never going to preach that. And so there are many people that are saved under that kind of preaching. And I've explained to you before that the natural position of the human heart is Arminianism, that you were told to make a decision, and so you did. Yes, you made a decision. There's no doubt about that. You made a decision, and it wasn't until later, as I just said, that you found out that the Holy Spirit was already there. That your decision was because of the operation of the Holy Spirit. Now, what Finney's preaching did was to deepen reprobation rather than bringing people to salvation. And and again, I'm thankful that that Baptist preachers today have these things right. We don't fall into the errors of Finney about substitutionary atonement and this thing about justification, original sin. We're not into those kinds of, of errors. There are some things that are right. But we need to understand what has happened in the area of regeneration so that we return to preaching it like the Bible says that it actually is. And before we can ever understand that, before we can understand what regeneration is, we have to understand what it's not. And so we need to see that truth. And we're going to come back to this. And I'm going to spend some more time talking about the wrong view and how that decisional regeneration is just that. It is the wrong view. Decisional regeneration is not historical Christianity. It is not historical Christianity. It's not in the Bible, and it was never taught by Baptist people until you back ourselves up 150 years ago to Charles Finney. Now let me read one more verse, and I'll close. Proverbs 22, verse 28. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. What we're trying to do is to head back to the landmark of Holy Spirit regeneration. And that landmark has been moved. And what needs to happen is it needs to be put back into its proper place. And that's why we teach these kinds of things. Because we don't want you to be ignorant of what the Bible actually says about these things. Who is it? That regenerates a person. Did you do it? That's what Finney taught. You do it yourself. You change your mind. You you predispose yourself to the gospel of Christ, and you have to make everything better when the Holy Spirit says that is his work to do and his work alone. And that's the way we have to teach it. That tells us that salvation is all of the Lord. I have no part in that. Salvation is all of the Lord. And that's what I want to teach about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we thank you that um, we are able to see this truth from the word. It's so clear to us because John chapter 3, this classic text on regeneration, just outlines every part of what we just talked about tonight. And there's no wonder that our Baptist forefathers drew out of that the confessions of faith that state these things so clearly. And so we just want to pray and we want to teach and help people to come back to the truth of who it is that actually saves souls, that is God who saves souls. And and maybe some people don't think that, that uh, talking about regeneration and these things is all that important, but if we lose the theology of this, then eventually nobody is really going to know what it takes to be saved and we'll end up with people that are burned over just like they were in Charles Finney's time, not understanding the gospel of grace. We want to see that they do. Help us, Lord, as we preach the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me make just another comment before, before I finish up tonight. You would think, I don't want anybody to be mistaken about what I've said, is that we're, we're not the, uh, the enemies of, of all fundamental Baptists. We're fundamental Baptists ourselves. We're not the enemies of fundamental Baptists. And I'm thankful for this, that, that many of the fundamental Baptists that we've associated with, that I've talked to them about this, this very issue, and they're in agreement with this. I mean, they're, 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 they're standing behind very same things that I say. Now, they might not preach all the same doctrines in exactly the same way that we do, but they stand on this, that they don't, they don't believe in decisional regeneration. I mean, they know that it's the Holy Spirit who regenerates a heart, And there's no mistake about that. So I don't want you to be confused about things that I've said and and say, well, we're pounding nails into the coffin of fundamental Baptists because I'm not doing that at all. There are some in evangelicalism and some in the fundamental Baptist camps that I've talked to you about, such as, you know, Jack Hiles and those like that, that forcefully push the issue of decisional regeneration. And there are other fundamental Baptists that turn strongly against that, and they don't believe in that. Even though they don't believe in everything, that, all the same doctrines that we do, they're not going to stand here and say that they believe that a person is regenerated simply by his decision. So don't think that I'm saying that. But this is a, an error, a, 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 rather, an, an area that, that we need to teach people about. Because the the downward slope of this is what I've said just a moment ago. It leads downward to the self-help gospel of Joel Osteen. And that's where man is completely in charge of everything that takes place in salvation. And we're not in charge. God is in charge of it all. And we believe the grace of God is what does this. And that's what grace is. If it involves us, it can't be grace. You understand that? You can you can't have grace that involves our work. I mean Paul said that. If it's work, it work is work and grace is grace and you can't really cross those two. It doesn't work. So don't think again don't think that we when I'm attacking people that that I'm building a straw man here to tell people to tear people down because that's not what I'm doing at all. Many of these folks absolutely do believe and as I said I've talked to them that we've had fellowship with and they're they're in no way shape or form saying they believe in decisional regeneration. So I hope that helps you just a little bit. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronit Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronit Park, California, 94928.